Hi and welcome to the podcast You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is a sequel or a, a continuing part in an ongoing conversation I'm having with Tiff Stevenson uh, where we talk about uh, various things including consent, um, personal accountability, uh, the idea that you don't necessarily need to be uh, helpless or a victim in order to be angry and righteously angry. Uh, journalistic standards, vengeance uh, versus change, uh, and the personal narrative against objectivity. Um, so this is a really, a really fascinating chat. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. I always enjoy talking to Tiff. So uh, let me know what you think. AliceRFraser at gmail.com is the place to email me or Twitter at Alliterative or on Patreon, patreon.com slash AliceFraser. Uh, or all the places that are easiest to contact me. Thank you, everybody who's been emailing me. Thank you, everybody who sent in questions for the Q&A episode. I will do another one, and I hope uh, we'll f- have a better rhythm with it. It was the first time I'd done that kind of Q&A uh, thing straight off Twitter, and I I think I can get better at it, and I do want to answer more of your questions. I hope I answered the questions that I did adequately uh, to your needs and desires, but... More people have been sending in questions over the past few days, so I'd like to do another one of them. And uh, apart from that, thank you everybody who subscribes to the Patreon. It's a massive deal for me. It helps a lot. Um, Some people do a dollar an episode. Some people subscribe for a dollar a month or five dollars a month. And there are various levels and rewards and so on and so forth. What I want to say is that it is um, incredibly meaningful, both in terms of allowing me to do what I do and uh, just as a, a vote of confidence, if you don't want to support in uh, tangible ways like that, you can also support the podcast by leaving good reviews or telling friends who you think would like what I do. This is the kind of podcast that is definitely not for everyone, but the people for whom it is, it usually is quite for them. That doesn't make sense, but you understand the gist. I'm going to stop rambling and let you get on with listening to this podcast because I think it's really interesting. I think it's worth It's worth listening to. I mean, I would say that, wouldn't I? But uh, let me know what you think. Email me afterwards or midway through. Whatever you like. You're having tea with Alice. Hello. Uh, Who are you and what are you drinking? I'm Tiff Stevenson. I'm currently drinking uh, a decaf coffee. Oh. Yes, and uh, the reason I'm drinking decaf is because I've had two already, two coffees already today, and we've got these new coffee capsules, which I can probably say we've renamed Shit Bullets. <laughs> As in, you have about two sips and you're in the toilet. So um, I've had an overload of caffeine today, so I'm just having a, a skinny cappuccino decaf. See, I mean, this is one of those interesting things to me. As somebody who's not a coffee drinker, from my perspective, the only reason anyone would drink coffee is for the caffeine hit and everyone's sort of vaguely fooling themselves that they actually like the taste. But the existence of decaf coffee proves me incorrect. Yeah. You actually enjoy the taste. Of oh, I enjoy the taste of it. I, I lean right into it. It's not... A thing I like about coffee, which I don't like about some teas, is that they can have too much of a brackish taste. Yes. You know, so... Or, or a slightly bitter aftertaste, whereas coffee, depending on the blend you drink, I suppose. I mean, it, it depends on the blend you're drinking, the quality of the tea, the heat of the water, and how long you leave it to steep. 
So yep. bad tea you want to not soak for very long or else you want to put a shitload of milk and sugar in it because otherwise it has that tanniny, chalky yeah. taste. I know what yeah. you mean. But I would say that's just that you need to refine your tea making. I like to steep as a human. Yeah. Like, which I <laughs> refer to as just lying in my bed during the day. Bed like, is human tea. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of dunk myself in there. Like, and I, I find it's sometimes hard to get up and out of the bed in the morning because I enjoy the bed so much and I've got an electric blanket at the moment. Do you find if you stay in bed too long, you become a little chalky and tanniny? Yes, I do. Yeah, if you <laughs> lick me, you will find that. Mm. You get that weird fuzz on your teeth? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, so uh, what have you been wrestling with of late? Well, I've been wrestling with lots of stuff, actually. I'm going away uh, in in a couple of weeks. Oh, no, in a couple of weeks next week, which we'll talk about that. But beginning of the new year, and obviously stuff is still sort of rumbling along with Me Too and Time's Up. Um, I thought we'd solved it, you know, because everyone wore black to the Golden Globe. So if that's not going to solve it, what is? Um, that is a joke, obviously, but I do think everyone should have worn red, like a giant period. <laughs> Just like a giant <laughs> angry period. I think like that, red is a colour of fire and anger. And I think, you know, expressing that women are real angry at the moment. Yeah, not passive mourning, but active rage. Yeah. I mean, this is a similar thing to when they were putting all the luxury taxes on female sanitary products mm -hmm. I reckon the response among all women should have just been gone on sanitary item strike and just bled on shit until people got it into got the their message heads. yeah I think I used to have a line of like if it's luxury where's my Dolce and Gabbana tampon where's my <laughs> Chanel with wings like I don't see any of the designer the designer uh, uh sanitary products I think um yeah, I think I think red just just displays anger well. Although there was a, obviously a few issues with the fact that none of the victims were invited along, um, especially after Mira Savina came out and went, "Oh, it's been confirmed. I did have my career, you know, blocked," which I refer to uh, as um, blackballed for blue balls. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The number of times that that has yeah. happened in my dictionary of sexual harassment which I've actually written, I've got an A to Z. <laughs> uh, a Deneuve is also a woman with internalised misogyny. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interesting that, um, that, that the, the people who were sort of directly affected by the kind of Me Too movement, and I guess there's a lot to be discussed there because there were definitely points where I felt like, and I think Rose McGowan is great, and I think she's brilliant for speaking up and kicking start kickstarting the whole movement and then the argument goes back back and forth between sort of her attacking Meryl Streep over Roman Polanski but then people coming back and going well she was in a film by a known paedophile and knew about it at the time when was questioned didn't have anything to say about it then there's the she took money off Weinstein but then I saw Patricia Arquette argue quite eloquently that these are women without power who can't go into this huge court battle with people like Harvey Weinstein. Well, also, I think the thing to remember is that, like, women have been speaking up for hundreds of years. And being you know, ignored. And being ignored. And the fact that that has shifted now, before kind of your, your, your best bet or your option was speak up and take the consequences or keep your mouth shut. And often there was a mixture b between the two of you would keep operating within this corrupt system because we are all within a corrupt system. Everyone who operates within capitalism is morally, you know, compromising to some extent. Like, to live in the world you want to live in, if you want to be in that industry, you have to make these compromises. So holding people to account for those things in the past is, I mean, not necessarily pointless, but not useful. Yeah. It feels like that thing, I was talking about it in my Rambly solo podcast, 
last week where people are more interested in winning small victories than thinking about the big where, battle. yeah the big battle and what what ground are we choosing like think about this in in if it is a battle like what are your tactics where where are we deploying our forces without getting into me what aboutery me yes. too what aboutery like where where should we be sending our energy like what is the ultimate goal and are we moving towards that with each step it feels a little bit like at the moment um to use uh, Margaret Atwood and The Handmaid's Tale as a good... We, we, we've sort of implemented almost this Martha system <laughs> where yeah. now stuff has kind of moved forward, but then women are turning on each other to kind of... So Rose McGowan saying, you know, Meryl Streep, your silence is deafening. You know, it makes it very easy for people to say, well, you were silent. Yes. You got money and you were silent. That was the path that you took. Now... I don't think it's helpful. Also, I don't want to see uh, Meryl Streep as the enemy. I don't want to, you know, like she's done great things for women in the industry. But yeah. this, is this, this is the sort of point and it kind of helps the patriarchy win to that degree when the women start turning on each other. But also we don't have to deal in absolutes. We can have like a, a debate that has subtlety and nuance. Obviously not on Twitter because <laughs> that is not the home of it. But but also the nature of moving things forward is that you are row. left behind. Right, right. Like, you know, Jermaine Greer. Yeah. She moved feminism forward undeniably. She should not be persona non grata just because feminism has evolved beyond her. Yes. Like Yoda has to die for Luke to become the master. All of that stuff. Like that yeah. is actually part of how it works. You grow beyond the people who shape you. Yes. Uh and just chucking him in the bin behind you with rage and resentment doesn't seem... Oh, there was a great tweet recently kind of saying about a woman who'd done something well. Um, you're the best at blah, blah, blah. And it's like all other women that are good at a thing have to be thrown into the Thunderdome to battle with each other for the title of woman who is best at a thing. Yes. And I cannot remember, we should look that up to credit whoever it was, but it was a great tweet. And I think it was Roisin who brought my attention to it, but it was really, really funny. Um, but there is that you, you, we don't have to start ditching people left, right and centre. You know, let's have discussions, inclusive discussions, get in a room like, yeah, you know, how come you can have, you know, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and Jordan Peterson and all of those people who disagree with each other on many things. But they are these new atheists moving forward or these new rationalists or they, you know, they, they have a a sense of community among themselves, even though they disagree on really fundamental points. If you listen to this Sam Harris podcast with Jordan Peterson where they argue for like an hour and a half about what truth means and it's the most boring thing you've ever heard, but they still move forward, they do another podcast, they talk about other issues. Like, why is this? Why do we have this urge to chuck people in the bin? Yes. Like, what is that? And you, you see that phrase so often, the rage and the resentment and the bitterness, that when you're, ha when you're disagreeing about something, you can be disagreeing in order to move something forward rather yeah, than or that you can occupy a center ground of, of, of reasonable thought and idea yeah now maybe within comedy that doesn't get your career as far as you want <laughs> you know like <laughs> if you are a reasonable person it's much easier to be like far left yeah or far right which are basically the same thing yes <laughs> with the restriction of ideas and freedom of speech and everything else like they come back around to meet in the middle however you can like disagree with aspects of a thing um you know so and i know we're we're, we're probably going to talk about this anyway but uh but uh the aziz ansari story since we last spoke because we did that quite long podcast about consent and i totally forgotten that 
I feel like it's one of those things where you actually feel like, wow, like the last seven years of material I've been writing feels like it's been building <laughs> to this reckoning. Like, because I, about seven years ago, it was I wrote this routine about the phrase smash her back doors in, which is in common, you know, smash the granny out of it was another one, Oof. which was this kind of really violent term for for what you would do to a woman's sex, but anal sex, basically. So the yeah. routine I used to have was like, you know, hearing a guy say smash her back doors in, of like, obviously the horrific part of that is the word smash. Yeah. Smash them in. And then I would just say the word smash on stage for as long as I could get away with, just the word smash. <laughs> like normally about like three minutes, I think was the maximum I got to, which on stage is like a lifetime. But going up and really shouting it in people's faces and going, I just want you to hear that word, like smash smash them in like not tap politely at your back door <laughs> and apologize for going to the wrong door in the first place yeah you know um and the whole point was that I was talking about the fact that from when I was a teenager to teenagers you know seven years ago there are things that are just uh, that teenage boys think are on the menu because yeah. of porn and it's yeah. basically porn that's given them that idea that just like anal sex standard that was one of the anal standard and I was like what if that replaced the kite mark like where would we be then you know anal standard but it but it is the thing of like them you go that's a negotiation that's a discussion those that's are a discussion and it's a fascinating like if you look at like that's a fascinating thing where something's gone from being an economic pressure to being something that's normalized in society so uh, as far as i understand and i'm not going to criticize the porn industry even though i have various issues with it um the idea being that you know women are working in these jobs and they shouldn't be treated as less than human because they are working yes. in sex yeah. industry. So putting that um, aside, women are, should be allowed to do the jobs that they want to do. Uh, not any jobs, because I still don't believe that women should be murderers um, for hire. Murderesses. <laughs> what about murderesses? <laughs> murderesses. Uh, but um, no, 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 it's like actresses. It's all murderers now. <laughs> the, the point being that there was a, an economic incentive to do more extreme sex acts on screen. Mm. And there is a market for more extreme sex acts in pornography because you get jaded, you get used to the same thing, you want to do something more intense. And so women who did anal were paid more money. Right. So you started to see it more frequently because more women were willing to do it. Which meant that boys who watched this, for whom this was their sex ed... Uh, thought that that was what women the norm wanted, wanted yeah. to do. And also just like how violent some of that is, how just how violent. Like I, I was on uh, Twitter the other day and someone tweeted me and I went to their timeline and the top clip was just like a woman having her head smashed into a bed. It was like a porn clip. And I was like, and all these people like laughing and commenting on it. And I was like so horrified. I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. And then I felt really old. <laughs> and I was like, is this what they think? we want also you've got a generation of you know boys who probably it's a joke about this who like don't know how sex actually works that they think it's de rigueur to pull out and just jizz on a girl's face yeah which means the population is dropping but we are getting rid of idiots <laughs> so there's pluses and minuses but like that being a standard thing you know again that's not a thing that is just you know maybe a girl doesn't want you to jizz all over her face in an act of some women love it some might find it the height of disrespect well the nature like, also of pornography is that there is like 
it's like stunt sex in that stunt people, before they do these intense action fight sequences and flip around and, you know, move their bodies in unusual ways, they'll do some stretching, they'll do some warm-up, they've got like six <laughs> years' worth of kung fu and yoga training before they get to this point where they can ba- smash someone's back doors in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this is like if you think about the logistics of you know, putting something in your anus, not to get too graphic, but that's about as graphic as you get. It needs to be slow, it needs to be respectful, it needs to be, you know, there needs to be, there needs to be practice a and build up and, yeah, as you say, negotiation and discussion and the fact that that has sort of been framed as unsexy is, I think, one of the biggest problems that we're well, kind of... where, and I never thought I would say this, here's where I think Fifty Shades of Grey could actually be quite smart and useful. Now, as a rule, I'm not a fan of the books because if I want to see Holy Cow, <laughs> you know, like I would watch Batman. I mean, there's a lot of that, like inner goddess, like come off it. But there is a bit in the in the book where she decides she's going to be submissive and they have a contract and they negotiate the hard limits and soft limits. So these are areas which you may feel okay going into. I'm not suggesting everyone draws up a sub-dom contract like in that book. No. But I, it was actually, it, it was um, uh, responsible in terms of Anastasia Steele having to say, these are the things I think are okay. What is this? Butt plugs? No. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. but like, having to go through and kind of the two of them going in a mutually consensual thing we kind of agree are we going to do this are we doing that and I guess that's the point about the smash the back doors in that suggests that you are just literally to be a I think they call it is it it a breeze or a bricked in Scotland like where you just fucking steam in with no like kind of thing that has to be a negotiation of uh, and the joke I make is kind of like you know they're not tap politely but uh, back door uh you know uh pretending pretending you knocked on the front door you know we all know oops sorry wrong hole you know because every girl's been there where someone's tried to push their limits yeah and you have to say no in the moment and then kind of go then there's a discussion I suppose between two people is is that a thing that you want to do is that a thing you're into do I want to do it you know well also there's something that sort of seems to be missing from this discussion almost entirely about consent which is that some things can become sexy yeah during the like that there are things that that are yes things that are no and things that are convince me yeah and i I think it's really an unfortunate thing that when women mean convince me they will often say no because that means that men hear when they hear no they hear convince me right so that's where right so this is where the power dynamic and women having power in that situation which which you kind of mentioned when we briefly uh, said we wanted to talk about the Aziz Ansari story. Um, because this seems to be one of those sort of, I wonder if it's like a defining moment or a schism or a crack in the discussions around consent. Because there are parts that I agree with Ashley Banfield, for example, and there are parts that I, I don't know if I agree with Katie Way, but I, I respect Grace's right to tell her story and for the discussion around what is consent to be really, really important. Okay, so, so let's we should lay probably we should probably lay out the points, and we so in a very lawyery way. Yes. Alice would like to state the case. State the case. Who are these people? What are they saying? What are their claims? Where do we agree? Where do we disagree? Yeah. So the first thing that came out was an article on babe.com, which was a hitherto relatively... Babe.net, in fact. Babe.net. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. <laughs> which already sounds like 
dodgy and like a, a men's site. <laughs> it does. It's a relatively small fry in the media industry. It came out with this story, a personal narrative by an anonymous woman about an unpleasant, she said, the worst night of her life, an unpleasant date that she had with Aziz Ansari. Right. Um, where she, they went on a date. Let's, let's start with it's really badly written. <laughs> and I, like, if we could start with that, because I think that's where part of the problem comes from. Yeah. Now, there's obviously the, this girl who's sharing her story. Yes. Um, and I don't know whether they approached her or she approached them, but Katie Way, who's going to come up later on, she's written, it's a badly written piece. Yes. Because what it does is pushes at some kind of things where, as a reader, you're like, what the fuck does this have to do with the story? Yes. So that, I just wanted to kind of get that out of the way at the top. Um, well, so, one of the things that jumped out at me was that she uses the term assault and harassment uh, in ways that are not technically accurate. Right. I mean, there's a, they are and they aren't. So there's a distinction that you make in law um, between uh, legally relevant language and colloquial language. So negligence, for example... I can be negligent if I just don't shut the cat flap, right? That's negligence in the normal course of events. Right. But the legal definition of negligence is a, a very specific thing for which there need to be, like, very specific circumstances, a state of mind in the person who is performing or not performing the act that they could reasonably be able to foresee that it would cause harm to somebody. Like, there's various boxes yeah. that you have to... I have a negligee, which is like a <laughs> nightdress that I've... Uh, disrespected it's very old and tatty <laughs> this is the thing right so that, that when yeah. you say he was harassing me do you mean he was acting in like a pestery kind of grabby excessive way or do you mean that a he sustained was campaign of this was sexual harassment in the way that it is defined in the workplace where it's a like a thing that there are boxes that you have to tick to prove that a persistent so also this is the uh, harassment itself has come into Come into discussion again around, so if we can come out of this slightly a moment to go into the letter that was printed in Le Monde, uh, which was headed up by Catherine Deneuve. And in my dictionary, as I said earlier on, a Deneuve is a woman with internalised misogyny because it just reads so awfully. But what it says is rape is a crime. We're all agreed on that. Yeah. But a clumsy or persistent come on is not a crime. Now, depending on the translation of that, that's the kind of standard translation taken from the French but a persistent come on is a crime if it's harassment yes if you're if in the workplace if it's within yeah if you're being stalked you know what is a persistent and then the kind of freedom to seduce which is the most French thing of it I must be free to seduce it is part of my human right yeah I need to be free to just tell a lady she looks beautiful and then buy her some wine and if she doesn't drink it insist that she drink the wine yeah. you know uh, preferably white not red we'll come back to that but you know like and I was kind of like I think freedom to seduce is freedom to sleaze yes. and it's a lot of women kind of going you know uh, we like being flirted at and a lot of older women in the industry or people who are one of them is a writer of erotic novels I believe um, well that part of what turns some women on is the sense of being swept off their feet the sense Chased, of dominance pursued. and so on and so forth and in the kind of you know sex fantasy sphere they tend to call those ravishment fantasies rather than for example rape fantasies because well, you don't want anyone doing it to you you want the person you want doing it of to you of course it's like if you yeah it's, it's about like, sort of subtle signals and him knowing what you want even though you don't say it 
and that mm. is laziness. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To a certain extent, it's yeah. it's it's a refusal to take responsibility for your own sexuality, and that's a sexy thing. That's Somebody part of, can read your mind. It's an amazing idea. Yes, and that's romance that women have been sold for years. Um, also, that's part of a woman owning her own sexuality and sexual pleasure and power, which we'll, we'll presumably talk about as well. But I think one of the problems that has sort of come out of both the good end of this movement and the reaction is that there is no clear line drawn in the discussion between stuff that is general social issues, how men should approach women, yeah, and where the line is drawn to damaging and criminal behavior yes well there's the whole there's the whole and i and i think i mentioned this on the last one we did but there's a whole like you you know you can't even the anti-flirt brigade for want of a better phrase but you know of people going you know you can't even pay a woman a compliment anymore and it's kind of like you need to know the difference between compliments and harassment and i think that's quite clear you can always pay a compliment but don't expect anything is kind of the routine i have so it sort of seems like one of the things that these people who are afraid of the anti-flirt brigade should be pushing for is more power for women yes because the situation that women are objecting to is situations where someone is flirting with them and they don't feel able for whatever reason power dynamic socialization fear physical intimidation they don't feel able to reject them yeah so we want to fight for a world where women have enough power to say stop flirting with me i'm not interested yeah which would give men the freedom to flirt with whoever the fuck they want to. Yes. Because they can flirt with free in the knowledge that if a woman is not interested, she'll tell them. But again, as we've said before, I think egos at a lot of this because men are set up to be pursuers, to if a woman says no, that it's some kind of knockback, it's some kind of dent to the ego because essentially you've you've been rejected. Yeah. You know, so Which all is of, an unpleasant thing. Yeah, unpleasant so all of that rejected. conversation is, is, is a big part of it. I think... So if we go back to the story that was printed on babe.net, one of the first things that sort of comes up to is that it, it, in the story, it seems like she meets him at a Golden Globes party or an Some Emmy, party, Emmy yeah. party and she wants to get his attention, but he's not really interested. It seems like she sort of actively pursues him in that first part of the story. Which is um, good. Yes, which is good. An but empowered does, move. Yes, an empowered move. And, if, you know... Um, and they bonded over sort of the the camera. And if you're building a case for his his uh, defence, implies would say that she is capable of saying of what saying she, no and saying what she wants and being wants. yeah. So. Um, and if you're building a case for her defence, it's that she is kind of blown away and blinded by his stardom. Yes. Yeah. Um, I can't find the actual article here because I would like to be able to. I'm sure it's probably on their front page because they haven't got. Amber Rose's plastic surgery is absolutely a feminist statement. Well, this requires some time, doesn't it? Um, oh, we have to keep doing the, podcasts. This woman who used a dildo to measure the snow is a modern day hero. <laughs> I'm going to say, I can't um, find the original. I would like, would like to see the original article. Fuckboy Diaries. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Um, Every slut shaming sexist response to the Aziz Ansari story. They're really doubling down. Um, I went on a date with Aziz Ansari. Here it is. Right. Okay. Um, 
She approached him because she recognised his camera flash. Right, okay. Aziz Ansari was taking pictures at the 2017 Emmy Awards after party with a film camera, not a digital one. I stood up and I'm like tipsy at this point, feeling really confident. I'm in a gown. What do you just shoot with? Right, so she's a photographer. Um, she gets to have her name protected because she's not a public figure. So here's an interesting thing. Um, that's, it's complex, isn't it? Because if you're going to accuse someone yes of these things that have happened and they are in the public eye then their identity isn't protected and then the question is whether you're using the term harassment or assault in a colloquial or a legal term because if it's a legal term then you've got a libel case on your hands and your staying anonymous is a really interesting choice if we're talking like a a legal sphere but equally like this, I mean, this might be something we should discuss later, but this kind of brings it down to the journalistic standards of the publication, yeah. which, having looked at some of their headlines, might not be that high. <laughs> this is an interesting story if what we're talking about is social dynamics, unpleasant dates, situations where women should feel in control but don't, where men are pushy uh, in a way that is that ends up making a woman feel really unpleasant. That could be anonymous on both ends. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It could be I went on a date with a, with a, a well-known comedian and this is how it sort of played out. Yeah, you could do that absolutely and I would back you to the hilt. The fact that it's being brought out at this time very clearly in response to the Me Too stuff and because it's a, a public figure, a public comedian, it echoes, you know, this is rhetorical technique, you're echoing the previous accusations of sexual assault yeah, and you're harassment. invoking them. You're, you're invoking, invoking this yeah. power dynamic that in this situation doesn't really exist. The only power dynamic that exists here is the power dynamic between a man and a woman yeah. in society. Well, this is not great writing. fame. So actually he asked for her number, but she puts it in. But clearly they flirted and she was saying she felt confident. Before meeting him, she told friends and co-workers about the date, consulted her group chat, what she should wear to fit cocktail chic. She set it on a tank top dress and jeans. She showed me the picture. It was a good outfit. I kind of don't know what relevance the writer's opinion has on her outfit. It's like, if, if you want to do the thing of kind of going, what was she wearing? That's a discussion, but I don't need to know if the writer of this piece thinks the outfit was good. Yes. What is good, define what good is. Fashionable? I, yeah, I don't know what they're, I think they're trying to um, create a dynamic, like sort of technically speaking, they're creating a dynamic where we're brought into a friendship moment, which is the friendship between women of talking about clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it says, so this is the point that I guess a few people have picked up on, which is uh, after arriving at apartment, they exchanged small talk and drank wine. It was white. I didn't get to choose and I prefer red, but it was white. <laughs> now, at this his is, apartment? No, this is at the dinner. At the dinner? Yeah. Why did she... Okay. As a side note, I don't drink. Yeah. I'm regularly offered drinks, sometimes aggressively. I have still never drunk. Right. Like white or red. Yeah. I prefer red. Um, did she say I prefer red? And I guess it's one of those of taking her choice and power away is the other, other side of that. You could kind of go from the start of the evening. It's quite clear. I've chosen the restaurant. You're drinking this wine. But I think suggest at the top saying that she was confident and she's a person who likes to drink. She was tipsy at the party that she could be like, well, dude, I don't want to drink white wine. I want to drink red. So can we order some red as well? Yeah. So, so I have been in situations like that, genuinely, and I'm not, again, I'm not going to, like, reflect on her morality, but where someone's, you know, as an, 
as a romantic gesture and whether this script is fucked or not, gone, you don't have to make any choices. I'm going to give you a night out. I'm going to order the food. I'll make this a, a beautiful experience. And also then throughout this article, like his fame is discussed to a point that makes me feel uncomfortable with the story. Yeah. So... Um, they discussed comedy and a new secret project he's working on. And when she says, when Kate, again, this is the writer, Katie Way says that they, uh, they walked two black blocks back to his apartment building, an exclusive address on Tribeca's Franklin street where Taylor Swift has a place too. I mean, what is this? Is this heat magazine? Is it, what is this? Is this like a gossipy like celebrity residences? I don't understand what relevance that has to the story. Unless you're trying to build the case that she is intimidated by his fame rather than titillated by it or actually titillated and intimidated yeah. both at the same time. Yes. But then say that. Yeah. I was intimidated by how fancy it was. Instead, what it says is they walked back in. She complimented his marble countertops, according to Grace. And Zari turned the compliment, compliment into an invitation. How about you hop up and take a seat? Now, we know the rest of the kind of piece, I guess. So there's a back and forth that happens. Now, we've all been there. I don't know if we discussed this on the last Consent podcast. Amy Schumer has an amazing piece of stand-up about this, which is there's a grey area of rape. Let's call it grape. Mm. And she's got a bit about how every woman, and th when you say this to men, it absolutely terrifies them, but how pretty much every woman has had sex with a guy where, where she says it wasn't totes consent. That was yeah. basically a rape. Because, because it's easier to just let it happen than it is to keep persistently saying no, doggedly saying no. So uh, by, by the, what I recognise from this story with Aziz yeah. is that I've been there. That's happened to me at least once, maybe two or three times where yeah. it's a guy that I've wanted to go on a date with. It's a guy that I've been back at his or we, you know, we've been back at mine or whatever, you know, and I, it's got into a situation where I'm like, I want to see him again. I don't want to sleep with him on the first night, but even part of, I don't want to sleep with someone on the first night is part of a women kind of being chased because we're told we can't own our sexuality. Whereas if you do want to and feel the urge to, you shouldn't be shamed into thinking that that's a societal no as well. So that's another side. And then side. you become conflicted in yourself about what you want. And yeah. maybe what you want is to have a little bit of space and time in which to get to know this person. Yeah. So far it's all go signals. Yeah. And that you like this person and you're interested in pursuing a relationship with them and so on and so forth. So have you ever had a situation like this? Yes. Yeah. So I would say within this... and I and left the guy standing outside his apartment locked out with no shoes on. <laughs> okay. And so I've had ones where I've kind of... There's been a time that I've walked away and I've kind of left and got a cab. There's also been a time where I've just given in and done it, which it fits into the Amy Schumer thing of just like, it's just easier to just do this. But then, I mean... But I've never come away going a crime has been committed because working within the parameters that exist now, now whether these parameters need to change is probably a valid discussion that we'll move on to. And but again, that comes down to the colloquial versus legal use of the term rape. Yeah. Because in each of those situations that Amy Schumer and you are talking about as feeling oh, like your consent was pressured or coerced, if not, th not threatened, definitely not threatened, but he was pushy and annoying and you sort of liked him anyway and why not now? If later, then why not now? You changed the timeline under pressure. Would a reasonable person in the position of the accused have believed that you were consenting? Yeah, probably. Yeah, and then that's... So it's not a crime. It's not right. It's not pleasant. Yeah. What is it? Like, we need to have 
like this I think is where we're we're down to and this is why this discussion is such a big issue like everyone can acknowledge that this feels gross I imagine it feels incredibly gross for the man as well yeah to find out as you say to find out later that something that he thought was consensual because often part of this like finally oh yeah I guess so if she's worth it you keep pursuing it and she won't let you have it straight away so like consent is this some kind of uh, physical object that is being passed back and forth yeah that is in like a game an, uh, gains value like an auction for the higher is, yeah. is pushed but then also the thing of the way that women do sex and the way that men like sex is with enthusiastic women like that at least is a social movement forwards but it will mean i think that sometimes a woman will consent reluctantly but to a man it will appear like he's gone through a barrier and suddenly she's consenting enthusiastically because she wants to get it done quickly she makes all the right noises she moves it on quickly she kind of wants to get it over and done with you don't get it over and done with quickly by lying there like a wet sponge yes now the area of this that it gets tricky by the way the putting the fingers in the throat is gross <laughs> what, I mean, what a, a lot of this says to me is that as he's watched is, a lot of porn he's watched a lot of porn and that also just like dude is not good with women <laughs> like that that's like a, a and you know where's the line between being not good and not reading consent now obviously the, the problem is the line of the law states it's non-verbal signals in a court of law that's not going to land in the favour of, of of the victim. Anything, I mean, anything, anything that's below, not you saying no, I don't want to, or physically pushing someone off, pushing someone off in in a, an aggressive. I way. think she did push him off, so that's part of it. But these kind of staying and sitting on the sofa with him, like it makes it easy for the argument to then become. It, here's the, here's the. Here's the area where it gets complicated. Of I know of a person who was in who who's a survivor who was in a situation where they were isolated as well. That it, it was, it, and there's no doubt that it it was rape. But there was a point where they began to ask them to role play and stuff, and you know the fear of having that read out in a court of law. Yeah, when it sounded like you were into it, when actually there's a point where you just kind of go, I want to survive. Whatever's going to happen in this situation involves me surviving. Yeah. So if it involves me looking like I'm into it, I have to be into it. So that's where all these kind of areas kind of like merge. What was at that point, she felt like she couldn't leave, but according to this story, it was more like, I didn't want that from him. What I wanted from him was a cuddle now. Yeah. And I wanted to get to know him, which is totally reasonable and totally acceptable. It's but if you felt like you were in fear of your life or whether he was sexually like, would you want those things from him? Yes, that this wasn't so much a, an act of coercion or power it, other than the power that exists between a man and woman. What it was more was two contradictory scripts running against each other. Yeah. He had an idea of how this night was going to go, from go to woe, from the colour of the wine to how they were going to bang. You know, that he was going to take her to his apartment. It was going to be like, whoa, passionate and pushy and kind of porny. And he wanted a one-night stand with this hot woman who hit on him at a party. And she wanted, as is Ansari, to like her and to romance her and to respect her and to have sex with her in a loving and gentle way. Yeah, and, and which is her- totally... which is. 
understandable like it's not that there's not empathy for her in this situation and I we just don't know what the conversation was between her and the website and then when it uh, post this you know do we think that it should be the end of Aziz Ansari for this I don't think it, you know she sent him a text afterwards so obviously straight away is sometimes when you leave you kind of go that wasn't right yeah sometimes it does take a moment of you know and i'm trying to be across it's difficult isn't it because we're trying to be across all of the points and not have a have a a point where we kind of come down on her going you know the way you feel is the way you feel and someone saying different is not helpful well this is the thing i can 100 percent understand how she feels in this situation she would have felt betrayed and that betrayal in a sexual sense can feel like violation and whether what he did was violent or not she can have walked away feeling really unpleasant but equally like the question is and this is like contentious in these times to go well how did he feel and was it reasonable to feel the way that he felt because at this point everyone's like I don't want to hear about what a man thinks about this yeah like actually what did he like is he a good man is he a normal man? If, if he's just a bog-standard ordinary man and he had no idea that he'd done anything wrong until she told him, yeah, should he have known what, that he was doing something wrong? Would a normal man have known that he was doing something wrong? And what do we need to change so that women don't walk away from... It, it's really important to get... A date that a guy thinks, I fucking nailed that I nailed date. that. That was great. I took her to dinner. We had a nice time. She stayed. She wanted to sit on the sofa. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And she's, you know, <laughs> and she's clearly got some self-respect because she didn't sleep with me on the first date and maybe I'll call her tomorrow. Like, and he did text her the next day going, that was fun. Let's meet again. It, 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 it's very easy within the cum- current... It's one of those weird things because occasionally you'll get someone coming at you going, you hate men, feminists. It's normally appearing on something like Peston when I was talking about the Women's March and it was uh, pure Captain Whataboutism online kind of going, uh, well, what about women in the Middle East? Why aren't you marching for them, right? Those are the, like, feminazi, you know, those sort of, that narrative that Piers Morgan says that all feminists are this type of person. Yeah. So that's, occasionally you'll get things of like, you hate men. And it's so weird because such a huge part of my fan base is male. Yeah. Like when I look at my videos online, like they probably, it's about half and half, but they skew, sometimes skew male a little bit, you know. So, um, and of a, you know, like a really diverse age range as well. And I don't hate men. I don't. It's very easy to have that as a, like I say, as a narrative. However, um, not viewing them as a homogenous lump. I'm sort of talking about this in my stand up and I haven't quite made it funny yet, but. It is important to think about men as humans with feelings of their own and desires. And <laughs> not just hunks of meat. Not just hunks, but, but in te- like I've been, what I've been doing is when I feel like sort of anger and rage build up in this, I go on and I watch videos on YouTube. So anyone listening to this can go and do this. It's real fun. And I've written a little bit of stand up about it, but not loads yet, which is I watch videos of men coming around from anesthetic. Um, mainly ones in America and seeing their wives for the first time fresh mm. and they don't they often don't know they're kind of like who are you you're so beautiful are you the nurse and then this woman goes no I'm your wife and he's like oh my god how did I luck out how did I do that and so often the response is of sheer surprise 
that when you strip away all this kind of, there must be something that happens with the drugs and the anesthesia that strips away this societal bravado of men, that their level of self-loathing and self-worth is so low that when they see a beautiful woman and they don't know who she is in relation to them, they think, how could I possibly be the one yeah, that we got that. This in the last podcast of that a lot of a lot of men's approach to seduction is based on the assumption that no woman will want them. Yeah, and that's women are often told that they don't want men; they are to be wanted, and so they're not giving this kind of positive feedback to men. They're not. There isn't that sense that men are beautiful and desirable. <laughs> yeah, and and so they have to be the conqueror. They have to prove. They have to be powerful and rich and impressive and dazzle you with a, a, a date and, and then, you know, do all their best sex moves on you right out of the gate, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. not just have sex with you but have, like, all the different kinds of sex with you in one go. They can <laughs> flip you over and take you to the moon and do their signature move where they, you know, like, all of the that signature is, move, you know, like blue steel. Yeah, razzle, <laughs> fireworks out of your vagina. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff in order to be adequate. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a... A thing, that's a real thing and it's something to think about as well in this desire to paint men as structurally and historically and socially part of this immensely dominant class but individually people and people who are, you know, have, have issues. Yeah. You know, and, and that are worth talking to individually about those, about those things. Like... I, the other thing, so we've got we've gone through bad date versus harassment. Oh yeah, so that's so the Ashley Bamfield criminal versus unpleasant, social versus personal, his career versus her anonymity, and personal accountability for women, yeah, and men. The other thing that I wanted to say before we get on to the article is, I feel like this article has framed her as a victim, in a way that it doesn't need to. That you can be angry at an unpleasant experience that happened and you don't have to be helpless to be righteously angry. Yes, right, right. You can have agency over your anger and yeah. but still not be a victim. Yes, that this was an unpleasant thing that happened to you or that you got yourself into and the proportions of that are worth thinking about, that, that, but that this happened can make you angry without you having to be destroyed by it, without it having to be the worst night and of your life. And without you having to destroy someone else. Yeah, without it having to be this terrible thing well, where you Well, this heroes oppressed. and villains narrative yeah. uh, is, is, is really worth exploring, isn't it? Because it seems in most cases we have to have a hero and a villain. Yes, and that, that the way that the kind of narrative is going is the worse you have suffered, the more important your story is. Yeah. Which may or may not be true, but it doesn't mean that somebody who is not a victim doesn't have an interesting story. Yeah. And in this situation, whether she was a victim or not is in question. Well, I told a story, it was sort of about why don't women report stuff, and it was about, the, you know, the, on the last podcast, the bathrobe story. Mm. The um, we need a moratorium on bathrobes, <laughs> <laughs> the exfoliators for morals, right? So that nothing actually. Ha- I didn't report it because and, and what he did was wrong and exploitative, and the power dynamic was skewed. But nothing actually happened. I got out of it. I went home. Um, and there are women who've been in situations where something has happened. They still haven't reported it 
because they're made to feel like they're part of you know step by step your trust is gained and so that's the other thing I don't know with this Aziz story whether at any point where she just went no this he's like all right you're being ridiculous we don't know what the conversation was between them we only we only have this version of events yeah which is she could have been like I don't want to do that and then he was like Uh, like, I wasn't you you know that kind of classic thing of a guy like cracking onto you and you're like I'm not interested well I wasn't do you think you're that good looking? I wasn't even trying it on with you in the first place. You yeah. know, like you're being vain, you're being ridiculous, you're being hoity-toity, you're being all of these things. And this is where it comes back to bad writing or bad journalism because we don't know what the dynamic was. Yeah. We kind of only know how she felt through the lens of this journalist who wants it to fit a particular narrative. Yeah. That it doesn't seem quite to fit. Yes. So... Either this journalist needs to draw out the um, the little cues that may have been there where this woman was threatened or she needs to admit that this is a different story, that there's a story about how men are in general on dates, average men, not all men. Yeah. And that that's an interesting thing That's itself. what we need to discuss. It would be and interesting. And then it shouldn't be about Aziz Ansari. Yes. It's that story, it's about men. It's about men, not a particular man. Yeah. yeah. It would be great if she did come out and kind of clarify it a bit more, but she's also under no obligation to do so. But the problem is the other person has been revealed. Yeah, That's the problem. If it was two anonymous sources, yeah. then it kind of in my story, I reveal that it's me, but I don't reveal who the guy is. Yes. Because it's kind of you know it's just sort of uh, sort of irrelevant or he's irrelevant to me but it's it's indicative of lots of experiences i've had within the industry and i most definitely think now again the the ashley banfield in her piece kept bringing up the work thing because the me too movement was about in a work environment what happens so this is a broader discussion about consent and being on dates with people that you want to do versus uh, communication versus being harassed in the workplace which is a very very different thing yes um now some of ashley banfield's points i agreed with but at which point she kept saying you're trying to ruin a man's career which is kind of like saying witch hunt and lynch mob but also bringing it back to his career work environment which is kind of what she's saying it's not about yes yeah so so it's it's um so there's points of that and there's points of that where I think she quite angrily goes in on the girl. Like generally, I think the piece is kind of interesting of kind of going, this is a different discussion. Yes. And so we need to look at why it's different. In... This is, well, this was uh, Ashley Banfield on her TV show. Okay. Where she kind of did an open letter to Grace. Um, and she does talk about the fact that she's anonymous, but Aziz isn't. There was also a piece on The Atlantic, which was an awful take on it which was basically a woman going, I wondered when the white feminist would come for a brown man. This is written by a white woman. And you kind of go, that's not what this story is about. And I think you would be able to say that had Harvey Weinstein and Trump and uh, Louis CK and all of these other ones, had they not been brought out into the open, yeah. but they're there. Like you can't say this is uh, a gunning for, for Aziz for that reason. But she keeps bringing up his accolades and his career and which is a sort of, you know, that constant thing of we must be reminded if a man's a genius or, you know, the recipe apology, a.k.a. The, Mario Batali. The standard Batali. for outing him must be higher because he is. Yes, yeah, you know, this is not an apology. 
this is me saying I'm a genius here's a recipe you know like that that kind of that constant that must be we must think about whether or not they are you know so she kind of does a bit about that but also this is someone with uh, journalistic experience uh, a feminist who's 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 been in the game for a long time fighting as part of the movement a couple of the things I thought she she said were a bit off when we read it, where we went, that sounds a bit victim yeah. blamey, which we're trying not to do, but also trying to say... Because it's such a delicate dance. Because it's so difficult. Um, if you want to email me, if we have stepped over that line, um, alisarfraser at gmail.com, we are just trying to address this as a... Yeah. As objectively as we possibly can. Yeah. So, um, so she did a piece, and then uh, the editor of babe.net and this is why i think i'm so anti and i think any woman (laughs) not even any woman over the age of 30 because there were lots of people who just went wow the editor katie way wrote a letter referencing ashley banfield where she where she (laughs) she age shamed her talked about her bad highlights said that no one under 45 would know where she is this woman with this history and this career and that's where you know you're like wow that's a worrying if that looks like there's a schism between the younger feminists, you know, and the older feminists. The older feminists. But also that the, uh, the, that Ashley Banfield criticised her journalism and she came straight back with a very personal attack. Yes, yeah. Which yeah. is the problem with the personal essay as a, as an, a sort of flowering of modern journalism. Yeah. Because you can't take yourself away from what you've written. Like if this were a traditional, you know... In a traditional media landscape, you have a requirement to check your sources. Like, the, like you have to you have to check your sources. You have to follow things up. You have to you check have yourself to, before you wreck yourself. You have to check yourself before you wreck yourself. It can't just be. I was sitting like the story can't be about the conversation you had with a woman. It has to be about the the facts or. This, again, maybe the broader societal implications of this conversation, there has to be something drawn out and clarified, which wasn't done in this article, which is the thing we were objecting to before. She hasn't, she hasn't told us the point she's trying to make. Yeah. What point is she trying to make? Even if the point is this is complicated and confusing and I'm not sure what to think, which is my favourite point. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, she hasn't, like from a journalistic writing perspective... We don't know what she's trying to say or what she's trying to do, what she's trying to achieve. Yeah. I'm just going to switch the light on quickly. Yeah. And just as a counterpoint as well, the one thing that I thought was really beautiful and uplifting and nice out of this whole thing was uh, that Dan Harmon interchange with his writer. Right. Where she accused him of sexual harassment, this is very clearly in the workplace yeah. within the hashtag me too situation. And he not only apologized but explained his thinking, his deliberate lack of thinking and how it impacted on his own life and her life and why it was a bad thing and why he regretted it. But not in this like, oh I'm trying to make my reputation better way, but like this is what happened. This is how it happened is why it was really stupid and really damaging and she accepted the apology i think and that's that's a a situation that you you know you think i hope people can aspire towards yeah that this is that is the battleground chosen that is the the progress towards which we move because otherwise you've got that in the bin put them in the bin 
Yeah. What, what the f- why? Cancelled. <laughs> like, how do we, how do you move on from in the bin? Yeah. Well, and then that's, that, there's probably a whole other podcast in rehabilitation and redemption and how far we believe in them. Yes. Um, you know, with someone like Harvey Weinstein, you just go, that's a serial case of someone who has done it their whole life. There's nothing, and has lived a life of such intense privilege that you go, there shouldn't be a way back for him. He should be paying for that. And yeah. even his pay, you know, but there are other examples where you kind of go, can someone, I mean, Mike Tyson, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like it's, it's, uh, uh, I mean, and that is a, that, you know, I wonder he hasn't sort of been brought into the debate again, actually. But uh, just quickly, here's the email where she says, um, so so Katie Way was offered to appear on Ashley Banfield's show where presumably there could be a discussion yes. back and forth. And she says, your colleague, Ashley, question mark, someone I'm certain no one under the age of 45 has ever heard of, by the way, ripped into my source directly. She can rip into your source directly because your source hasn't been named. Yep. So when you say directly, it's indirectly because no one knows who this person is yes. at this point. So I think if she did know who she was, she probably wouldn't have ripped into her in such a fashion. She would have said, do you want to come on and discuss it? Can you explain to me what you, you know, like, but that, that's not, that's not there. Um, but then the, she says about, she targeted uh, a, a vulnerable woman for for a little attention. And you go, Ashley Banfield has like a, like like we say, as we said before, a career, you know. Yeah. Hope the ratings were worth it as opposed to Katie Way writing on her website that no one's ever heard of, getting yeah. attention, you know, of, or piggybacking someone else's story for, you know, um, and basically calls her, uh, uh, I hope she's happy with the 500 retweets that burgundy lipstick bad highlight second wave feminist has been feel really relevant for a little while i mean all of that is just awful it's just awful um and it does tend me towards leaning more heavily on my criticisms of the writing of the article yeah from from a journalistic perspective can we have grace tell her story to someone else can we have her come out and tell her story in her own words would probably be quite useful. But it is also worth noting that she did, she obviously did feel uncomfortable. She texts Aziz the next day and he apologises and says, like, I didn't... I didn't realise, I didn't Yeah. Know. And then, yeah, so this is why you, that, that, that article needed more detail because is this... Is this... How, how can we tell, like, what the facts were? or what the environment was, or what the vibe was? Did he genuinely feel like he was providing no more than a normal amount of pressure and romance? And whether a normal amount should be tolerated or not, blah. But, like, is this a blindside to him that this woman was uncomfortable? Was she acting comfortable the whole time? And yeah. why? Yeah. Because she was socialised to... Do we need to socialise our women to be stronger? Without that sounding like victim blaming, do yes. we need to teach women to be stronger and more willing to that say, it's okay you know, to say oh yeah no gross you yeah you are <laughs> disgusting me at the moment yes what yeah. you're doing is a boner killer yeah like yeah can you say it's that? healed over stop yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gone back in it's closed up like well, i mean this is a, just a complete sideline um about the age of consent 
which is like oh god it's so different in so many places i mean we have standard here but in america state to state state to state very different italy very different spain very different all of this stuff of like why not and bear with me here it's been a long time since i talked about relationship contracts um (laughs) like since early days of this podcast but age of consent license like a driving license right So you, (laughs) when you think you're ready to start having sex, you have to take a test. Like, can you read the go signs? Can you read the no signs? Can you have a conversation about protection? Like, you have to do all of the stuff. You have to have the awkward birds and the bees talk. Sex education. Sex education. You have to pass a fucking test before you're allowed to bang. And so the age is variable, like... I know plenty of people. I was among them. I was not ready for a very long time. Yeah. Other people, you know, other people get their driving licenses when they're 30. Some of them get them when they, like, you know, you have a bare, you have a minimum age, obviously, like the childhood age. Yeah. And beyond that point, it's about passing a test. And like the Australian, the Australian driving license, when you're on your L's, zero blood alcohol. Right. To be allowed to bang. (laughs) When you're on your P's, you can have like a very small amount of like one standard drink an hour or under, like (laughs) to be able to. And then like. Oh God, the thought of like the first experience. I suppose my first experience was without alcohol. But those early, fumbling, awful, awkward. Yep. <laughs> you got to go through it. Show your you just got to go gotta through, go through it. it. Got to grit through it. If you want it badly enough, you can do it sober. Yeah. And then, you know, if you want to be doing this kind of advanced shit, you need to get that. You know, those like wet weather driving courses, like additional stunt driving courses, if you want to start to get kinky with like the tertiary level set. Like I just. Poke a hole in it for me, Tiff. I think this is the best idea. <laughs> no, I think I think it's a go. I think we could we could start. Um, it's interesting, you know. There's a consent app. Yeah. Yeah. So someone was talking about that the other day and how unsexy it is, which is where the you know uh, where these conversations sort of grind to a you know you want you want to make the world unsexy, and you go no we just how weak do you think sex is as a human drive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As well. We're here and there's millions of us. Yeah. Billions. There's too many of we us, are un- arguably. We un- are unwinding as well years of pillage and rape and invading and, you know, like, Look, that's you- that's the other thing as well is that we, in this period of history of uh, civilised or revolution, revolutions about sex, you know, the sexual revolution, like, it feels like we're in the midst of another one. And yeah. hopefully great change will come out of this. But it, it, it involves being able to have discussions, meaningful discussions without screaming. You know what's sexy? War. You know what's <laughs> not sexy? Fucking the UN. <laughs> there we go. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. You know, like, and yet which one would, you know... Like the one is slow and boring and meticulous. Do you know what as well? And not as much on gets done as you'd like, but <laughs> also no one gets stabbed through the heart. Yeah. Well, here's, here's, um, here's, here's an interesting thing. How we behave sexually as well is very, um, is kind of linked to what stage of state and war or whatever else we're into as well. Because, you know, during the, Second World War here, God, look, so many, you know, like the affairs with all the American soldiers or, you know, people getting married and having kids because you didn't know if you were going to die. When you're in that kind of state of like, what does tomorrow bring? And maybe we are in that state again now because, you know, got a couple of people with their fingers hovering over the red button, you know, <laughs> it, it kind of changes. The pace of things picks up, you know, um, 
It's interesting, isn't it? What would you do if it was your last moments on earth and then the world doesn't end? Would you then feel shame for what you did in your last moments on earth? Yeah. Or would you feel okay with it? You know, that just as a philosophical question. I mean, we will all find out very soon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, if there are more Hawaii-style red alerts of missiles coming in from every fucking day. Look, I'm just... I don't know. Maybe I'm just fixated on the image of some dude. You know what? One of those... um, roll up like tape measure style lanyards with yeah. a card on the end, like coming up to you in like a cool leather jacket at a bar and just like zipping out his lanyard and showing you his full sex license. Yeah, I hey, find baby. lanyards to me are like the biggest turn off. So yep. maybe there has to be another, maybe if you flash me a badge in his wallet, that would be a bit sexier. Anyone that's got a lanyard, I just... Yeah, police badge, police yeah, badge. Yeah, 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 that's exactly yeah, you are. Because you know, like correct. during the fringe, you see lanyards and you're like... um oh. Or, or in the in the shoulder of your T-shirt where they used to keep cigarette packets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just flip it open and there's your license. Yeah, that's a better. That's nicer. That's nicer. Yeah, lanyards. It's kind of like people keeping on festival wristbands once it's over. Ugh. Deeply unsexy and upsetting to me. But a quick flash of a badge. I'm yeah, into it. You're into it, ma'am. Relax. I know <laughs> what I'm hands. doing. I know what I'm doing, and uh, I have the additional courses too. And they like flip out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. I think we've solved it then. I think we have. We've solved it. Uh, Where can people find you online and in the world? Um, I'm uh, online at Tiff Stevenson. My website, tiffstevenson.co.uk, where you can purchase uh, my show Optimist. And I have a new show coming out soon, which uh, Madman, which um, I'll have an announcement about soon. So just look out on my Twitter for that. But I'm on I'm on tour. So uh, there's about 30 dates and Soho Theatre in May for uh, a week um i think it's may 21st to the 27th sweet i'll um, be back by then so i will be you're about yeah and i'm in uh, new york and la for a little bit next month so you'll be surely seeing photos of me uh nobbing about well is this that i've got some new york and la listeners hit up tiff on one of her gigs over there uh well i'll be uh I'll be yeah on Twitter. Find me find me online on Twitter. I will be uh, writing uh, and and auditioning. So yeah, I will be. You'll come find me. Come hunt her down. Thank yeah. you so much. All right, bye.
This stuff is mistress, so we have got Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle, day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, doffers, cry up your ends. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle, day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle, day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lolly rifle, doll, lolly rifle, day.